Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thanks for tuning in to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook and YouTube as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsofvtm.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. Obviously, you know what it is. It's unlike the behind everybody here that you can see it, right? It's, a, it's an adjustment. You're able to see it. But if you can't hear it, yes, you're tuning into 25 years of vampire the masquerade podcast. And uh, this week, we're going over Requiem, and it's a book called Ancient Mysteries. Now, before we go there, I have to introduce something. Um, we're, we're to what I like to call the the event. Uh, that is the event and birth of my child. So um, she is not going to wait or care what listeners care about, and she will definitely dominate our life. So um, I'm already going to say in advance, if you're if you're happy for me, thank you. If you're not happy for me, too bad. Um, <laughs> hate, hate is going to hate, and that's just how it goes. But I will... I will say this, though. It means i got to hand the torch for a bit um, to some competent folk. And uh, in that regard, what do I mean? It means that yours truly is going to take a step back. So everybody says they wanted to hear more opinions, more thoughts and ideas, and spread around even more. And at length, you got that chance. It's coming up. Um, for those who are going to miss me, thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Um, but I will also be poking in cameo-wise. Um, it's the problem being commander-in-chief of a company is that you got to come in, but no commander is good. When I say commander-in-chief, I do mean DJ, and I do mean Brennan. I like to call them commander-in-chief in this. I just happen to be the schmuck who takes all the heat. So <laughs> that's the that's the way I see it. Um, I trust these guys not only with knowledge, but how to handle things and get it going. Uh, Brennan is my uh, editing team. We have him now. We're taking on uh, Mike, who's helping out with editing, and then myself off and on. Uh, we got that going into as we're being role-versed in it. Brennan's good hands. Um, I still give a thanks out to Nick for for helping us carry that ball for a little bit, and uh, he did a good job. But Brennan did an even more outstanding job in streamlining and showing us a whole suite of tools that we didn't even know about and, and making it best. Um, but still, kinks. This happens. We're human. That's how it works out. Um, for DJ, you've been with DJ. He's been with me for jump since jump. Like <laughs> DJ is probably like, why didn't you put <laughs> DJ up there instead of Nate? I'll tell you why. Because DJ, I didn't have to say that. He already is here. And that's, uh, that's the effect it is, but it was a DJ's mastermind and idea where we talked and said it should be even more people. We should bring out more so that onus of feeling that one person leaving or stepping away isn't the end of the world, and it diversifies what we talk about. So in that regard, that's it. So I know it's in very good hands, and with that, we're going to try some today, which means that this is the last intro you're going to hear from me for a while to head this off, but uh, Brennan's going to facilitate. I'm still going to participate. I, too, have questions. As we're going to go along this, but he's going to take a shot at the show, and that's going to be Brennan and uh, obviously DJ. They're going to be the content guys, and we're going to go from here. And being that it's Requiem, and they both are the experts in Requiem, as I will say it, um, I do have the books, have read books, have read these books. Uh, But the simple fact is they've applied it to more games, and by default, my hat's off to them and talking about its usage and whatnot. So with that being said, uh, Brennan, DJ, you guys are family to me. I thank you for helping me and my family in this time of need. Uh, on behalf yes, of sir. Moa, who is basically the alien queen, as I've jokingly said now, <laughs> I must go and fulfill my time serving the egg sack of my alien, well, dometer. That's uh, that's how it goes. The humor part is is that it very much is weird, and I'm going to define that. If you guys don't know this, there's a fourth trimester. I don't know if you knew that. 
everyone knows third trimester, right? Baby gets swollen big, mom is big, it's there, baby's full, we're going to give birth, and then that's that. I had to read about a fourth trimester, and then I also had to read about how we found out that basically the father's emotions, no matter where they are, are just as affected as the mother's emotions. Oh, so that is the fourth trimester, the the husband, the you, father's emotions? Okay. No, that's both. That's both. That's okay. postpartum depression. The baby's out, right? Oh. So it's the first three months of the baby's okay. life is, is the fourth trimester. I but what see. you don't understand is that there's prep work. So just as mama's emotions the whole time have been peaking and getting larger and larger with the hormones for the baby's growth and the whole process and whatnot, my dumb ass has been wondering why I have, I've been having certain days where, like, I'm, I'm going to tell you honestly. Yeah, everyone should know this. You should be warned. Right. The French, the French did some study and found some truth to the fact that the men actually mimic the complications the mother's going through in birth. Well, you like to think you immune. You ain't you ain't fucking immune. Like first and foremost, um, there were days my wife would be listless and I wouldn't know why. And then I could remember simple shit and wonder what was going on. And we took turns. We talk every day. Baby, how you doing? Baby, how you doing? You doing all right? Baby's baby. The baby's baby. We good, baby? Yeah, baby's baby. All right, cool. Here's here's this. And then you hear the heartbeat of your child. You're like, oh, God, it's so great. And you're like, oh, yeah. Now, now you know me. And to hear me, I ain't got time for shit like that. I deal with the real. What I mean is, baby, in hand, ah, now I'm all about it. Now I'm crying. Now you're going to see the tears and the emotion and the bonding. And I was like, that's then. Yeah, I say that. And then I had my hand on my wife's tummy once. And I felt my daughter high-five dad. And that was it. That was it. I was broken. I was riveted. And I was like, what's she doing now? Is she moving again? Is she snoring yet? Like, you aren't going to hear him snoring, babe. Well, what's she doing? Is she getting a meal? Like, what are we eating there? What's she eating today? And you get weird. You get weird. Um, then I'm going to tell you the dark side. She get, comp- she get constipated. Guess what? That's right. I am a two to three day shitter. I am a routine. I have a system. I have times. I have, I have, I have books. I have books I can read. That are different, right? That's like that's like throne time. It's called the throne for a reason. Like you looking at me with judgment, Brennan, like I can't believe he said it. You think <laughs> I got shame right now? I got no shame in my game. It is what it is. And so I went through that. Then it was like, oh man, three days, and I had I had suppository, homie. Look it up. You think you all had a bag of chips? Good luck. Mm-hmm. So you go through these things. Well, the emotions are the warning part because to me they hit me like a ton of bricks out of nowhere. How did it hit me? I read about, first I looked at childbirth. They're videos, you know, kind of see what to go through, what the man's role is in that, or, the, or your partner, I should say. It is partner uh, that they use, but it's like, I am I am a man. I am a cisgendered male. So that's that's where I come from. I could speak to that. So the moment I saw it, I was in tears and it wasn't even my baby. Right? And that's not that's nothing compared to what it's going to be. So that's that's how it is. And so immediately I couldn't look at no more birth and baby videos. Because I was like, I can't, I, there's no way I can get used to it. If you're curious, if you got the courage, and, you, and you're a male, and you're thinking I might be a daddy someday, go ahead. I dare you. See what that feel for you. And I, because I never done it. I always looked, I looked at it in a book. My mom's a nurse. I've seen all sorts of warning of STDs and all sorts of nonsense. Let's just say the vagina holds no mysteries, medically or otherwise. We've been there, seen that. I get it all computations. I have a penis. I get it. Same thing. There's nothing like that. I'm not referring to that. But when you see a woman pregnant and her partner supporting her and the look in the partner's face is, I don't know what the fuck to do. Mm. All I could do is rub her back. And like I, she told me to go in the bag and get a thing. And I went in the bag and got a thing, but I forgot a thing. And the thing ain't there she wanted. But I got to walk over and go, baby, I forgot about it. And then she immediately is like, ah, you son of a bitch. And I was like, oh, my God. 
all right, that's real. And she knows she's being recorded, but has no control over it. And then seconds later is all forgiveness. So I was like, that is literally the hottest seat you can ever be in. Right? So then you read a sheet of paper. It's not over. Once she gives birth and that's done, now you're in the fourth trimester. And guess what? That baby needs you more than anything and can and, and does need you both. Not just mom. It needs you both to feel like it's welcome in the world. And you read on sudden infant death syndrome, and that, that's what it is. And by the way, sudden infant death syndrome, they've done tests where a father absent actually ups the percentage chance your child just dies. I want you to imagine that heaviness of being a parent. Right? The fact that just your dad being neglectful, not caring enough, not opening up with those emotions, if you can't do that, if you can't touch that, that, that uh, what am I trying to say, that nurturing side of you enough that the baby can feel it, you can't just think it. And say, yeah, okay, I look like that. No, you got to feel it because the baby needs skin-to-skin contact. They have to rest on your chest. They have to feel you to feel that comfort. If you can't do that, the percentage jumps where the child just decides life's not for it. Mm -hmm. Just checks out. They still don't know a lot about it other than that, that there's dangers here. So what improves it? Swaddling to mimic the wound, right? And things like that to hold it tight and hold it close. I've been reading. I've been researching. <laughs> My daughter ain't going nowhere. She's strong and healthy, and daddy more than loves her. So, love her so much. In fact, my livelihood, this right here, I am trusting my two best friends, my close friends, uh, to step up and hold that mantle. And I've taken enough of your time. I'm going to handle my nonsense here, and we're going to get to the show. Thank you for tolerating, folks, and I'll see you soon when we get back and tell you all about her at some point, I guarantee it. Uh, with that, <laughs> Brennan, please save everybody. I'll do my damnedest. Um, so, like we talked about earlier, I think we mentioned it. Uh, we're talking about ancient mysteries today, right? Um, it's been a while since I cracked this book open, and uh, it's not really a lot like I uh, honestly remembered it. But um, DJ um, and Bob, depending on how you feel about this, uh, the uh, opening story, uh, Winter, Death, or Night, Winter, and Death. Uh, what'd y'all feel about it? Outside of being the story that... Uh, First off, I think it uh, things I definitely want to cover before even moving further to that is the book is named Ancient Mysteries. But I think it's a misnomer to start off with, because much like you, when I did open up the book and I read it again, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. The contents of what's in here does not equate to it being an ancient mystery. They should really? have just called the book like I just done woke up. <laughs> That's what it probably should have been. But I don't understand why I just it was woke named up. <laughs> I just don't woke up like the to do right or like what to do when you're dead, like in Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. And but I, Ancient Mysteries kind of threw me off. And because be you were honest, expecting it to be a book about like one specific mysteries, right? Like like vampire, like Arthurian right. legends. I expected. Right, right. Now we're talking. That's more closer to what I was actually anticipate being. Um, the story itself, though, is out of all the stories that I've read because of the content. I'll be honest, because of the content itself, it's just trying to recover what happens when you wake up. Does it feel any different? It gives me more of the staff feel as well of like, you know, come back into the future. What do I remember what I don't? This is the reason why I write certain things. So I wasn't too impressed with it, so to say. And it's not that it was bad, but I guess just because of the content that we're covering, I just didn't find it too striking. Well, what I'll say to this is, uh, uh, Brennan, do you feel... Because um, that's that's a good question, opinion about it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it was different. Um, typically, you, by title, you try to guess what's in the book. I think everybody mm -hmm. does that. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. 
And, uh, and, and here it's not to say that it's not because we do go over the dawn or the fog of ages, right? Definitely is something that hits here. So you could say it's an ancient mystery, but not really a mystery, right? To me, a mystery is a secret society of vampires got together and they kept these secrets and what you might know that happens to you with another. I just talked about fatherhood for, 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 for babies and whatnot. And that effect, that's an ancient mystery to everybody single. Mm. You're not going to know, like you can ask anybody who's parenthood. You're not going to know until you go through it. They'll say that repeatedly. Yeah, this is the same thing you expect here, but that's not what it is. And I think what it was, Ancient Mystery title was to sell it and bring it in. But I also expected the intro story to be something that would connect throughout the book. Do you feel it did? Uh, I, it did. Um, the Because the to, to explain to the listeners about the story, uh, it's got the, uh, it has that, that classic um, Pulp Fiction uh, storytelling to it where it goes starts with like one story that's on one timeline and like jumps between uh, multiple ones so it starts with this uh, Hungarian soldier a woman pretending to be a man that's enlisted in an army in Hungary but she and her her group of soldiers are trapped in a cave seeking shelter as they're being terrorized by what we know as a vampire and concurrently there's a jump to the modern time where there are these two Ordo Dracul students who are searching for their mentor. And as the story goes on, you realize that the woman in ancient, well, ancient Hungary, it's like 200 years before, um, but ancient history, I'm going to call it the ancient time for the purpose of the story. Uh, and the woman in the ancient story is the mentor in the current timeline. And towards the end, that whole story that she's written down and that she's narrating she's written it down in a, in a diary for these students to be told. So as you're reading that story, you're getting the history of that elder. And that frames this entire book from what we were just talking about. It's not ancient mysteries as in you're going to be initiated into a secret society and the, you know, the coils of the dragon are going to be explained to you. You know, the ordos of the Dracul, these are mysteries that are lost to time. That's what it's referring to. We're talking more like, um, more like mysteries of like Atlantis than like secret knowledge being to, to be revealed. So once at first I was like, oh man, I was kind of disappointed. Right. But as I was reading through it, it's like, okay, I get what this is. This isn't really like a, this isn't like um, uh, one of the clan or covenant books. This is a tool in the ST toolbox, uh, really supposed to be written for the ST, except for some parts where if you're going to play like an elder game, right. That's where this book really shines. Um, I can say that without spoiling anything for the rest of the podcast, because I think as we go on, everyone's going to pick up on that almost immediately. So, so uh, to sum all that up, I actually like the story once I had time to digest it, you know, let it settle. So to, uh, to the point out then, then the book is properly titled, right? And that's a, that's, that's a different perspective and a very good way to put it, Brent Tron, is that this is an, it is an elder toolkit. This is complex ideas to help you understand what a Requiem Elder is. However, the technique in the introduction, a lot of you might be going, duh, and you've heard it before. That's because it is a technique. It's called Memoriam, mm -hmm. right? It's where somebody could play in the past of events to know what goes on. You can do that with your players, right? That's what they're showcasing because they preached about mm -hmm. it a couple times. That it's a technique you could try. They did it like kind of in the hidden back suggestions to run a game. That's an example of what they're saying. You know, two people learn about their mentor in the past by putting them there whether they read in a diary, usually you want to run that scene, but they haven't have an idea of before they see. And that's a, that's a, it's a cool technique. 
But where do they rocket us off here, Brennan? Instead of just like uh, just like saying it's just the intro and we're done, where's the jump point? So after the intro story uh, concludes, it starts out with um, really the foundation for a lot of the like elder play and elder like usage in the story, and that's going over the fog of eternity uh, and the the effects it has on kindred as they age. Uh oh, oh, you got something to say? I'm just, I just know we're on camera, so I'm, I, I didn't have control of that. I knew you'd catch it. It's just, I know I could see DJ start sharpening his saber. It's revenge day uh, for a past <laughs> pod we did. We went over the War of Ages, and now I'm just like, okay, I could hear it just the blade getting there. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Well, well Brennan, you're doing Guillotine good. will drop when it drops, which might be about now. So, uh, uh, a little TLDR <laughs> for the listeners. What is the Fog of Eternity? We've mentioned it a couple of times, but maybe we have some first-time listeners and people that forget. You see what I did there? Fog of it. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, Here we go. <laughs> on camera. Anyway. Uh, vampires, as they age, right? We're talking centuries timeline. They start to, well, either be to forget things or remember things wrong and it's not just as they you know i walk into a room and why did i walk in here where are my keys it's not that kind of thing right it's more like over the span of decades you might um misremember who like first introduced you to like the the covenant when you joined as a neonate right now you hear newly minted elder uh ordo dracul that's teaching some students and then you go back through some records you might find be like that's not that guy's name right or uh, it turns out that person you thought was like your best friend when you were at Ancilla and did that one crazy thing with you. Well, he died like two decades before you even remember it happening. And okay. this thing, it's something neonates will hear about, but not really experience until, well, it's a little, or it's probably a little too late. It's why, um, you know, an elder might not remember uh, what, Abe Lincoln's favorite tea was, even though he lived in D.C. at the time, Abe Lincoln was alive. Okay. Okay. I got a question about the Fog of Ages, the, the draw to it in this book, because I could tell you, I don't care if I have to say it again, DJ. I saw it. I already caught it. Do People it. Know you like no, it everyone has it. to be included. So here's the thing, Brennan. Can you remember your best concert you've ever been to? You're a music fan. What's the best concert you ever went to? First concert I ever went to, I was I was actually in fifth Best. grade and went to a freaking. Uh, it was. I, I'm gonna finish. Okay. Uh, we were going to a, a Lincoln Park concert. And it wasn't my favorite, like because of the band was there. It was my favorite because like it was a family thing. I remember we ate at the Spaghetti Factory. It was in Nashville at the time. Loved the place. And as we were walking from the uh, from there to the Bridgestone Arena, I puked up all the spaghetti noodles on the sidewalk. And like my dad was like, "We're we're gonna go home." And I was like, "No, no, we're finishing this." Um, and we really shouldn't have, cause I had strep throat, but love the concert. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Love the concert. That's what we have there. It's, it's pretty like, like for me, my favorite concert, I could go in further detail, right? Hit me deeper, but you had mm-hmm. a traumatic event. That's traumatic. You went to your favorite, con- you went to spaghetti factory. You were excited about that. Go out to a nice place. And then the family's going to go to this concert. <laughs> it's Lincoln park, right? You're going to do these events that help hit your memory that this was awesome. But if I were to ask you, what was the waitress's name that, or the waitstaff that helped you? Oh, uh, no clue. Factory? No clue? Okay. Can you remember what your mom drank? Uh, it, I can tell you because it's been the same thing every time we go anywhere, but that's cheating. Uh, it's not cheating. Go go ahead and say it. Yeah, it's just unsweet. It's unsweet tea mixed with sweet tea. So it's half and half. So it is sweet tea. 
you really think okay. about it, but you can't just say I want sweet tea here in the South because then you get like a cup of sugar in your glass. Correct. I know that. That's that. I know that well. So you got to be careful. Diabetes <laughs> is in the South. Mm-hmm. I know why there, right? Uh, but the second thing I'm going to ask is like, okay, so you went to the concert and it's Lincoln Park. Do you remember what shirt the singer wore? I don't think he wore a shirt. Okay. You don't think. And what yeah. I'm pointing out is, is that the fog of ages is cheating. It's cheating. It's saying that the human mind is the same as a vampire's mind. You can't remember because it's a technique your brain puts you through. Remember I told you I got excited because I read a term? Mm-hmm. Cognitive dissonance. It's a way that we don't go insane by remembering all the mundane that we actually do see, hear, and taste, and touch in life. We only focus on the things that are important to us. Well, that's the same thing as a vampire's brain, isn't it? Because we know that because we're human. They were once human. But what happens is, is that unless you had a learning deficiency as a human, which, by the way, a lot of those don't make sense to carry over when you become undead. Mm-hmm. The terrifying truth is that immortality doesn't have a magic to you. It kills a lot of what stops and hinders you. Can you see that, DJ? No, I'm agreeing with your point so far. Okay, so chemically we're talking about. The mind is complex, Mm -hmm. but the mind needs chemicals in life to get in the way. Now when I am dead, I am governed by a beast, and the memory of my humanity is what stops me from being a monster. That's what it is. So now i got to be sold this idea of Fog of Ages being this new cool technique that people didn't think about, when all it seems to be is that we, the players, the humans, have no idea how to showcase five centuries of life. No idea. Because let me tell you, in five centuries of life, there are some people who wouldn't have one memorable moment in five centuries because they don't take risks. They do what they're told. They sit and maintain. They are not movers and shakers. They had a sire. They live in night society. They don't make waves. That's not what they do. And you can only know from your perspective, which means your beast is only going to care about the turf it hunts and feeds on and the creatures it encounters. And if that's the majority, that means that your players are playing dynamic entities that did have events that happened in five centuries. They should remember those events. But wait a second. If I said that to everyone, their personal experiences are going to be unique to them. And to their perspectives, they're going to remember certain aspects of their Linkin Park concert, right? They'll remember the stuff they they vowed was important. They could recall that easily. But that other stuff, who cares? So I'm sitting here going, if a human's going to do that, and that's not that long ago in terms of talking about vampires to a mortal here, in terms of remember. Now I'm sitting here going, okay, if I were a vampire who lived through the Civil War, no, I'm not going to remember every detail possible. But that's not because my brain's forgetting. Or I'm losing facts. What it is, is what was the relevance to now? Mm-hmm. Right? Is it the fog of ages or is it the relevance of age that it should be called, mm-hmm. right? No, it's a, that is, of course, like a good call. How does that differ from, like, well, just normal human minds? The, um, they, they go on to say, like, a lot of uh, neonates also throw it out. And it's like, I can't remember shit I did, like, a week ago. And, like, now you're, you're complaining about that? Of course you did. Uh, the Fog of Eternity, though, struck me like, um, what book was it? Was it the Requiem for Rome book where that talked about the Elder in the Lankaia? And that was the opening and ending story. You remember the one I was talking about that I'm referring yes, to? Yes, it was. It's been it a couple of Rome. months ago. Yep. Were they and, were hunting the Elder from Rome in modern? Right. Yeah. He displayed what I considered what I think of when I read about the fog of eternity, which is not just like remembering details. He couldn't remember his own identity. He was like cursing 
like this this one guy i believe marcus something like that and towards the end he's like wait was there ever really a marcus was i marcus it's not just like a memory thing like you would even one you would see with someone experiencing from alzheimer's it's like um uh things that would erode like even core memories those important ones you were talking about right like you have imagine you you do remember that concert we were talking about earlier with almost crystal clarity but then there was someone else there or there was some record of it and you start reading about it and you're like this isn't at all how i how i remembered it It wasn't just you know like uh corn and slipknot together corn wasn't even in there so like why why is this happening right it's more akin to to that or it's not really akin but more like expansive so dj i thought of a great point i'm gonna make it so that you get the total sandwich okay so (laughs) based on that you point out the guy from requiem but on a long enough timeline would you agree that any vampire possesses the ability to reinvent themselves because they slip time. from time, right? So if that's true, what is the relevance of talking about the fog of eternity? Understanding that it is a case-by-case basis. It depends on what you did in your context. Are you hunted? Are you not? Are you trying to shirk the, the blames of the past or not? And it's just techniques. Because it's always been an advantage of a vampire to outlive their problems and outlive their enemies, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. always what they had. Um, unless you're dealing with other immortals. In that case, you're just kind of stuck with what you have. But we're not talking about the same thing, right, in that regard. So nope. with this, it's like, okay, we have this complex idea that's already complex. And it's like they said to make it gentle, we'll call it the fog of ages, the force talkable points about it. But we don't give talkable points. Instead, we're going to say, if it's from this year, you might have done this. To help you remember, make a diary. Isn't that the same way as saying you're playing an Elder game, so players... Submit your diary to the ST so we know what you did. Here's where uh, here's where my viewpoint comes in as I read The Fog of Eternity, right? Which is, let's, let's throw out the, the most obvious thing. This book actually gives you the reason why The Fog of Eternity actually exists. It plain out tells you the reason why it exists. And to be honest, the way that it was written could have solved a lot of V5 issues as well. <laughs> which is... The point of the Fog of Eternity is to level the playing field for your players and for anything in the game. When an Elder becomes way too strong, it's time to go to sleep so that when they wake up and their minds are befuddled, it gives way for those that need that power vacuum to take advantage of the Elder. The Elder is not going to remember things equally. Now, if they would have done that instead of the Beckoning, we could have been somewhere. However, going back into the Fog of Eternity, it literally just tells you that it's a mechanic first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Because I I actually agree with Bob. Bob's thought process, and it would be my thought process as well for that point exactly. If this never had existed, we could play Vampire in Requiem in that particular fashion. But just to put it on the table, we have to talk about the reason why, you know, developers had created this mechanic. So now my mind has to go, like, if I'm... If I have to agree with this mechanic, much like in the same way that Predators of Taint was something that was introduced in Requiem, then how do I make sense of it within context itself? And the only thing I could think of is what makes it relevant, as much as Bob says, because Aventru has pointed out, as we did in Lord of the Damned, they are whoever they are at the time of awakening, or at the time, even if they are awake, they'll choose their identity, and that is who they are, and that is what they own. And that is a good way out, and that's what makes Ventru pretty good. But what about every other vampire. And what makes it relevant is the fact that it's a personal horror for them. If you can't remember, people already have a bad enough time waking up from blackout hangovers mm. and trying to figure out where their lives are. I will tell you that happened to me in real life. They, uh, uh, the, the shortest story I'll tell you is I went out to a club one night, I woke up in someone else's house, and just to make sure that people made sure that I didn't go out and do something stu- stupid, 
they took my items of power, my keys, my wallet, my cell phone, my car, and gave them to four different other people in other parts of the state. And I had to go ahead and reclaim my pieces, much like Mithras of power. And that just like waking up and going like, but wait a second, who did I hang out with last night? What just actually happened? That caused me anxiety as it was. And I have to assume, based on how it's written, as we'll continue further down in the book, it makes it personal because you can't trust yourself. And if you can't trust yourself, then what identity do you have? DJ, are you a pirate? <laughs> That's like a pirate thing. Like, I think on shit back in the day, you'd be on Tortuga or Nassau Island. <laughs> And, like, you drink too much, and they were like, well, we got to set sail today, Captain. And, like, normally you'd be on the boat, but they were like, leave his dumb ass there. Give him a rowboat. Tell him to come find us in a day. Row your ass off. We'll meet you. I was right? going to go just, with that's, dude, where's my boat. car? But uh, that works, too. Right. That actually, that's a real-life story, but it did happen. But, yes, that's where I see the fog of ages right now, and, and that's where, that's why I, I take that angle. I think the angle of it is it is the, the equalizer um, for lost memory. Well, we'll call it sympathy for the devil. We can meet in the middle. Right. We'll do that. Mm-hmm. Where it's one of those things where, because uh, you brought up a sore point with me, it's just a trigger thing, and I'm going to say for anybody who said it, um, elders exist in a game, get over it. Mm-hmm. You are not the biggest fish in the pond. Get over it. And your ST is going to be the one to introduce you to those horrors. There's a reason why there's ancient horror books and, and dark mysteries and night horrors and everything else. And guess what? Tons of books for it. Why would we blink that you run into them? Why would you blink? If you know they're already out there and they're there, they, their memories ain't touched. Right? They don't tell you the fog of ages is stripped from her. She can't possibly blah, 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 blah. What they tell you is this bitch here got an attitude. Is she going to eat you next? <laughs> right? That's what it is. And then they go, oh, but it's up to the ST if today's your day. That's that's true. It's up to the ST if this person exists at all. It's up to your player troop to do it. So, I mean, there's that onus too. But to like to baby it forward, let me let me get to the point. Other than my harsh critique and understanding of the fact that I think these techniques were already present for people who have been used to masquerade, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. does this bring? What techniques and tips and tricks do they bring that maybe you don't think was thought of or that you didn't think of and you found were unique out of the fog of eternity that could be brought to bear that adds to the immersion and thus useful to the players to know, to own he, this book? He actually... Uh touched on something I, I was thinking a lot when I was going through this book. This, um, the, they just slapped a name on it, right? Fog of Eternity. The, the idea of this has been present, I think, uh, not really spelled out, but it's been there in like, uh, the Requiem books we talked about thus far. And even in the masquerade books, right? The idea that time, we can't have perfect memories, all this stuff. Um, but I feel like this book was really a compilation of ideas and things that they put, that they discovered along the way of playing these games that we were talking about. Cause what this does bring for the player and the ST are ways of dealing with that, uh, inexplicable, like loss of memories. We already talked about Requiem diaries and stuff as well. We've talked about bloodlines who are devoted to recording, uh, vampire history. We, there are three covenants out there that are devoted to finding like, in archiving records of vampire history. Invictus have to do that because their entire structure is based on oaths. You can't have oaths and not store them somewhere for someone to verify them. Uh, The Invictus have a very... uh, Part of their thing is recording vampiric history with themselves. And of course, the Ordo do as well for their experiments. Also, it sets up this big, like... uh, It highlights um, cognitive dissonance, I think you said earlier. Because the Invictus, all of them all those three covenants I talked about are very hard line uh, masquerade protection, right? Yet by keeping all these records, 
are also habitually violating it. It's it's interesting, right? I was waiting for that too. You're just drawing up a point where it's like, yeah, how come when you see an elder that has this diary, it's not bye bye elder? Uh huh. Right? Mm-hmm. Or the or the idiots who have it. And in fact, there's a dynasty book that we haven't even gotten to yet, at least by memory. We may have brushed over it and we didn't give it the detail, but it hit me in some type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we talked about dynasties. How to have a dynastic requiem with others? The uh, and, the Invictus book. Right, they mentioned dynasties in there, and yes, we right. did. Okay, yes, now I remember it. So um, in there, that's the only acceptable facet, because what they say is is that if I, your child, or even just we're all three of us, we'll just use this example, we're technically doing this in a way, right? Mm-hmm. The dynasty that we have here for podcasting here, we're setting this up, and I, it's my time to go torpid, right, to step away for a bit and what have you. But there's set assets that each of you have that are fast to keep this running with the added vacuum that I leave behind and who's going to pick it up and who's going to do what and all that directions changes ideas. And we're going to do that and it's going to be handled, but it's trusted evenly between the two so that the one is never overburdened. But really what it is is so nobody overtakes their, their if we were evil people, you know what I mean? Like this is for some reason for a billion dollar corporation, you know what I mean? And so that we don't lose what we have, blah, 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 however you want to put it. And this dynasty sort of work like that. But the difference is when I'm gone, now the power rests evenly between two, not three. And when that goes out, now we walk a little taller. Now we make a little decisions clear and free and whatever. And occasionally uh, DJ's going to come in and sit in my coffin and, and talk to me because I can communicate him in a whispered dream about what's going on and try to read my reactions to it to then interpret, I am the Bob Whisperer, I have heard things, <laughs> I present you this. And Brennan goes, yeah, but I'm the guy who talks directly to him through the blood. That ain't quite what it, nah, you interpreting that wrong. I'm gonna let, nah, we got to talk, right? And that's where it would get interesting, but nothing was written down. There isn't anything written down. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. in the dynastic approach, they mentioned you're keeping them going while they're going through what they are. And then it's okay. But then you can be as twisted as you want to each other. That, to me, has power. That, to me, has relevance, real-time relevance to people in a sort of dynastic fog of eternity way. Um, It's awesome, right? And that's where you get, like, uh, what is it? Um, I told you the redeemable fact of Underworld was the fact there was the Corvus bloodline. And the way to save that whole movie franchise would be to have other bloodlines that were warring for the title. Mm-hmm. Right? Of mm-hmm. being the best covenant. Not that we're all together hunted systematically by hot goth girl. Right? That's the that's the thing you want to take out of the movie, actually, to see if, what, what could develop. But the point. In here, they talk about Fog of Eternity's techniques. DJ, you're right. It's definitely why they had it in there. And it's like they tell you, this is why we brought it in. This is why it should be used. But I think Brennan's also very much right in how we kind of want to present this as an opportunity to jump through time. Right? It's to role play through something that nobody had ever defined before in a book of how to do it. Right. And I think that's Rather than, yeah, DJ, I read the same thing you did where about, like, why they put in the fog of, of eternity to flatten the, the field for players like neonates. Um, I thought that was a straight-up lie. I thought that was the first time I read, like, a, basically a lie in the developer, because I don't see how it does that, other than, like, by flattening the player the playing field. It's like, you know, the freaking hobbits having a way to kill Smog the dragon, right? It's like a, a one-in-a-million <laughs> shot. Like hitting that proton torpedo well, right down. You, well, because it, it's not because it's it's an elder. It's still going to be able to wipe the floor. Like could eat you tonight. Going back to what Bob said, but it also highlights a uh, part of the curse of being a vampire. Because if you do get to live for five hundred years and you're enjoying all this power, what's the downsides to it? The well, requiem's all about personal horror, 
right? It's like they they are powerful. They're probably enjoying the power that they have, but there's there's always like a deep cost to that. That is the biggest reason I see the fog of attorney being in there. Some existential like dread or problem that all vampires have to face at some point. And maybe, just maybe, from the confusing looks I'm getting from both of you, I might be crazy. You're not crazy. You know what it is? Is I, I think it's a double speak because the way they wrote it could be read in two fashions, right? You have your good neonate player, a person's like, "Great, I get to do whatever I want." Then you have a person like Bob running your story, and once it ends up being that your elder figures out you've been bullshitting them this entire time, you know, regarding their memories, then it's game over for you because it's it's a matter of playing with it. I think the other thing that's also brought into it as well is what makes it, I guess, enriching to a story is. The way they write vampires and time in, in Requiem is always very short-lived, meaning no more than most likely a century. That's as much as the history of a city has unless someone has changed hands. And if someone's older than that in that region, you mad grab for whoever that elder is to either provide you information or take information from them that they might have had stored. But that's where it underlies it because that's where the game begins. And I think the game usually ends in tragedy for anyone trying to figure out or undercut or undersell or undermine that elder. First off, there are players who can't survive 10 nights. They can't survive 10 nights. So you don't even True need facts. elders to make it terrifying for them. You just need them to be vampires to see what it's like. And that's that. So I'm going to say that. That's your majority player. They have no idea how to survive. Mm-hmm. Analysis paralysis, terrified of what they do, unless you're an ST that uses hand-waving. Ah, you had fed, and oh man, you butchered that whole family. Well, no way anyone's going to notice you. We're vampires. We're powerful. Let's move on to the next scene. If you're that guy, it, I, I guess you can do whatever you like. <laughs> that's, the, that's the power of make-believe. We can, we're making this shit up. You can, too. And if people like what you're making up, I guess they'll buy your bullshit book. And that's just how it goes. Why do I say bullshit? You want to talk about a fundamental break of reality and the theme of the game. You can't even follow it. Right, I'm going to say this. I think nothing's more sad than someone saying, okay, here's the world of darkness. It's your world, but to a dark reflection. Everything's darker. Vile, monsters are real, everything in it is bad, and you can see corruption and people getting away with the most amazing things. It's an alternate dimension. They didn't say dragons are flying through the sky, making drinks for people and delivering Domino's pizza. Right, that, that level of crazy was never brought up. It said, it's your world, but to the dark twist of it, with these additional things here, which means vampires are gritty. They're real. They're going to make real choices. When they have a society that says, you will not do outside of what we said, or President Riff Raff will kill your ass, that's what has to be enforced for that darkness to be felt. Unless, the whole point of your coterie, your group, whatever you want to call it, your clique, your camp, whatever you want to call it, you're there, and your sole point is to oppose that, that asshole, Riff Raff. Well, now you're over here figuring out how we're going to do that, which means you might go out and sloppy feed on purpose to reign in hell, right? Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And then that's the point of the campaign, and you get that choice. It's about choices, right? So when they say level the playing field, when I answer that question off the bat, to be succinct and clear for all time, you can't think of things in-game and out-of-game and think you're going to find an answer. Right To level the playing field means, how do I make room to get all these elders out of the way for a new game master who wants to not have to deal with ancient mucky muck who they put right in the middle of the territory I want to go over in-game? There's a buy-night book. I want New Orleans, but I don't want to deal with these assholes that are in it. 
what's a good way to get the key ones that are in the way of the guys I made that I want to bring in that might step up to the plate to do it? Well, Torpor. Mm-hmm. You want to yeah. see where that works again? Welcome to V5. It's called the beckoning. Do you get it now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Doesn't mean they're dead. It means they went to the mythical east to learn what the draw is. Meanwhile, you're free to run your cities as well. But wait a second. Chicago by night, there's still freaking Methuselah walking around dancing, shaking. <laughs> She's literally putting her eagle on on the dance floor. And you're telling she don't feel the beckoning? And we didn't say why. Mm-hmm. Right? Choices is what this is. They're trying to give you a gamut to answer. When you try to please everybody, you look like a goddamn fool. And unfortunately, that's the world we're in. It went from, yes, we're vampires. It looks like this. And we also made werewolf, and it looks like that. And we also made mage, and it looks like that. Three different perceptions of the same world, and none of them can agree on anything. Because they come from different walks of life. Now, we've demanded, we the fans have said, you need to make it to where vampires see everything like this, which is the same as werewolves, now see it, and they made room for, which is the mages who they've made room for and did that as well. And they realized, well, to do that, we got to sand down quite a bit. And we got to move a lot of stuff out the way. Because by that being said, we're saying that we lack the capacity to go against the books we buy to put our imagination in it. So that's a lot. But that's exactly how you answer that question is to point out, if we're going to open industry speak, let's open industry speak. And if we're going to say the truth, let's be truthful. That's the real reason why. Now, this book also adds, but hold on a second. Just because we told you that you can run and punt some elder off this way, so you don't have to deal with it. I didn't say they got to be gone. That's the genius of the Fog of Ages. This book actually reminded me why I ran a game of Requiem using the Fog of Ages as a beginning, because preludes are awesome. And what it was, was instead of you meeting the prince, how about you learn about the prince? And so what I did is I took eight people, and I put them in a society where, yes, they were kindred. It's the very beginning where they were basically chain-coddled by their mentors, except they had to be put on hold because they remember what that learning part was. Here's your society, the right colors, how to eat, whatever. And instead, I made them the servants to the prince, getting news about these new people. So that, you know, basically the letters arrive, the prince reads them, and the prince starts grilling the ghoul, which is really the player of that vampire, about this person that was there. And it forced him to give a third-party perspective to a very powerful entity about how it's going after permission was given for them to be created. Which means they had to know their background. They had to know their, uh, their relationship with their sire. They had to know their place in society up to this point. And from a ghoul's perspective, which means they couldn't be ostentatious or loud or anything like that. They could be themselves, but they had to also give you know, valid content and deal with the prince. And then they had to see how the prince was treating it or how he treated the sires when they came around and see what that was about, and they got to do that. Well, why is it Fog of Ages? It took a century. So we split it by a couple games going 20 years a pop to see what went on. And some people took interesting flaws. Strange shit that they wanted to happen in their background, like one was at the Alborist, right? Was a thing that they had, and like, you know, was it hidden, was it not? And they learned the prince knew about it. Mm. Not only knew about it, the exact primogen who covered it up, right? And, and at the sire knew about it because there was a deal struck. And that's why their mentor is not seen when they started play. Wouldn't answer the phone. Wouldn't answer emails. Didn't know what was going on. But what they didn't know was why. And that was the mystery. Now, I pat myself on the back for that because the mystery was with Scratch, which was the NPC who did it. Literally took that mentor, and he's a Diabolist. And uh-huh. where do you think the mentor went? Dumb, dumb. Right? 
you committed it. I committed nom-noms, but now I feel an unreasonable desire to watch over you and care for you. Because I ate the soul, it became me, and that scratch, I rather enjoy that. So now I, for whatever reason, am teaching this new uh, deva how to operate in the city and what to watch out for. With the occasional phone call, I'd show up from a distance, we'll have a chat, and he always appears out of nowhere at the wrong times. Right, really stomping on my groove being a vampire, Scratch. You're not my sire. Oh, but I feel so close to you, little <laughs> one. Right? But the Fog of Ages in that prelude gave all that to be possible, which made a game that no player wanted to play. It really? Was I know. You're shocked. You're shocked. Yeah, man. When it comes to something that intimate, that's what Requiem does. Masquerade gives you no idea how to build intimacy with what you have going on. You got to be a phenom. Right, I build intimacy with my players. I make it a point to. I build those close connections and whatnot. I feel a point to, you know. But that doesn't tell you that. There's no book that tells you step by step how to do that build or what it is you got to mm. say or how you got to be or how to tell that story. You know that we've been over the books. It's nowhere. Right. Not even Requiem tells you that step by step. However, Requiem does give you a toolkit that says you might get it if you read this enough. You might start seeing the advantages of caring more about your disciplines when you read the discipline book. You might care about age and what it means in the relationships when you read The Fog of Eternity and how that could work. And however you want to feel about it, did you try it? Well, that's me. I had to remember and remind myself when I read this book, this is the book I read where I tried it. And when I tried it, what happened? I loved it. Two of the eight loved it. However, the others, man, I just want to go slam and shit. I hate the fact that my background wasn't <laughs> what I, man, this is just garbage, man. Where is that? And you know what I'm talking about. Right. And that's what happens right. when you take LARPers, yeah. bro, and you put them in a more intimate setting, and now they got to care. Oh, shit. Just what are these? Are these feelings? Frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. We talked about the fog of eternity enough. I said that was the foundation. It's taken approximately 35 minutes. So I think we have a <laughs> solid foundation here. Uh, I don't know about y'all. Um, <laughs> so to going through this, I, I, I say that. It's kind of a, a schmucky joke. We actually blew through a lot of all the other talking points I had listed, right? How would we use it, right? Uh, how it would apply to players, right, actually. Um, so to talk about a couple of things more, like... Uh, we actually already did, but I'm going to repeat it succinctly. There's a bunch of also new traits in here, right? Requiem Diary, we also mentioned. Uh, there's some devotions in here. Demon, uh, Blood Sorcery, all that stuff. Any of that really stick out to y'all? Eh. Eh? Okay. All right. I, uh... No, not really. I think the reason why is because they're just tools to kind of help vampires. Everyone loves powers, right? The cane bro in you at least at one point wants to make sense of how you're able to make it happen. But to me, it's the stuff that came a little bit before. Because even though we spoke about the, the fog of eternity, I think the lubricant here is what happens when you do wake up. I don't think that there's enough things that kind of hammer in how your character would wake up to figure stuff out. Right? Like, I, I think about, like... um I think about, like, uh, what is that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Sixth Day, where it's just clones everywhere? Yeah. What's yeah, that, I think that, that is. What is it, right? So then it's just, like, Take in the future, there's clones and everything, and, like, people just have their memories, like, implanted to the next clone, and they wake up, and it's, like, they only remember as much up until the moment of death, but they won't remember up until, you know, obviously their their their, their new clone bat is created for them. 
But why it strikes me is like, all right, well, your combat was 300, 400 years ago. Um, what is it to wake up to that strange new world? We know from a masquerade standpoint what it would be to have and hold certain powers and cultivations of it. But I don't think we've had enough literature that drives home what it really is to kind of wake up. Wake up, lost, uh, no more carts, metal things going around. People don't dress modestly anymore. What is this? And one of the things is that it, it mentions that it's not even like human sensibility. It's your vampiric sensibility. Because when you went down, even as a vampire, you have a sense of what you find, um, what your own like moral code is. Mm -hmm. And for those ethics, mm -hmm. you kind of be compromised. That's shocking. That's also a possible breaking point for you as well. You know, I think even in second edition, that's one of the things that does shock your humanity into place as well, because you shouldn't live this long. Yeah, living. You shouldn't exist this long. Yeah, you're right. And right. being outside of the realm of it, um, I think is, is one of the struggles that I would have offhand until I found my grounding of what I would do to play a waking elder. When uh, I'm actually glad you said that because I didn't, that, that clicked something with me that I didn't really think about. It. Like in my mind, that exact scenario is one of the most important reasons why covenants would exist because covenants like we talked about they're not they're not just political like factions they're not the the sects of of masquerade they're they're honestly more akin to 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 paths because as we've like read in some of the other books um even like covenants aren't fully like politically unified right there's different people competing within in it in the complete rivalries right different domains even inside the same city but the idea is that every covenant has some like precept to it Lankea obviously have their like religious devotion uh carthians and invictus both have their own like grasps of like power in and of itself right all of these form like anchors that will anchor a vampire to themselves and not lose themselves to a beast so I actually kind of expected to see that in the book, and I don't remember seeing that. I think here, um, well, one, to your point, um, I've always thought of Covenant. I mean, this is a great argument, actually. A great, well, not argument, discussion that could get heated, mm -hmm. um, passionate one. Uh, this is because um, you talk about the future wake-up, right, of what being displaced and whatnot. Um, I think everybody's tried to imagine the future. So I think everybody automatically is perfectly capable of understanding what life would be like for you in the future. Right by by understanding what must happen and what must change. Uh huh. Does that make? Would you agree? I I, I think so. So, right. What am I going to do ten years from now? Fifteen years from now? That bullshit interview question you're asked. And here's why I never liked that question. It's because no one fucking knows. You can't answer that question until you're in it. And the proof of it is they use in this book, and they they arm you for that actually to prepare for that feeling. Right. So they built something that I can understand intimately. I've always liked. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. A way to give you the actual blueprints of how humans think, right? By terms of what it is. We go by the physiological, mm -hmm. our need to eat and do everything. Let's do this to vampires, though. Let me not be that guy. Uh, let's go what they put here for vampires. Talk about the physiological aspects of what a vampire needs just to be itself. Mm -hmm. It needs blood to live and day sleep. It needs to be out of the day. Those are the two things that needs to continue its existence. But it also needs safety. By this safety, it means a haven, a safe place to sleep, and the resources to control the safety of where it's at, and obviously the health of its food to be put in there, so that all goes into one. But beyond those needs being met and moving on, they also need to be to belong, mm -hmm. that emotional need to belong to something, a connection. And so here they highlight sire-child relationships, the blood bond, uh, status in, in a clan or covenant, which is what you said. And that's where that covenant mm -hmm. fits that niche to back up your point. 
Um, however, esteem is tacked on to that, that if you belong and you have safety and the physiological needs are met, that's good enough for your neophyte vampire I want to highlight. That's all a neophyte understands and needs to know because it's trying to grow and do it. That's like your first 50 years. But when you hit your 100 to right about the first two or three centuries, you're in that level where esteem matters to you. Because what the hell are you here for an immortal if you're not doing anything? And at that esteem level, you're looking for higher status in your clan or covenant or the city proper. And mm -hmm. you're looking for proper power, whether temporal or mystical. And the actual tick that's going to go up in your sheet is something like blood potency. The stronger your mm -hmm. urges, the stronger your beast. It's really what blood potency is, the strength of the beast. Yes. It's experienced up to that point, and it's hold on you. And that is a status thing amongst the amongst kindred, right? Mm -hmm. But then self-actualization's at the top. This is humanity, the loss or the gain of it. Um, the fact that if you can embrace somebody else and bring them into the horror of what you are, right, and you want to do that, the flexibility you have in understanding humans and predators and whatnot, this all rolls into one to make a vampire. And you, you grow to these points. There's levels to this ish, as it's said. And at the very top, you start caring about your humanity in effect. However, this doesn't prepare you as an actor no. of mm -hmm. this role. It doesn't prepare you at all. And I think a lot of the writing can't. This isn't an acting workshop. In fact, that's the fun of the authors is that they can only write the tools to say, okay, you're acting troops. Have fun with it. See what you do with it. And it's on you and up to you between the storytellers and the characters to take something like that and run your character through the rubric to see where you stack in your character's opinion of it. But keep it separate. Got to keep it separate. This is not you. This is your character. So this is your tool that gives you the ability to time travel to the future. And so if the game starts in 3021, after you go to Torpor, with the technological changes that your ST gives and the reactions from the people, you begin to have a backdrop of how you're going to respond to waking up. Right? You're going to go for blood first, then Haven, then so on and so forth. Eventually you'll get there. But it's really... After you heard this, I hope it breaks down to being what I like to call dick simple. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. It's it's that simple. It's like, you know what that's for? Yes, IP out of there. Done. Right? So so genital simple. We'll call it that. I'll help that out a little bit more. It's only speaking for me in an old term I use. But that's it. See, there's the grin of Brent trying. I can't believe you said it. you damn right I did. So um, why? The attachment of it is this. If you can do that separation, now you can get to the fun stuff. They want you to think about waking up into an era where they have laser guns now. Right? What if you're an ST who could say, you guys went to Torpor and woke up, vampires are, they're accepted. Mm -hmm. It's true blood. <laughs> yeah, you can go to the store and pick up your blood now. It's all good. They got artists who, who make fake blood meals. So you can slice them and chew on them. And they're really tasty. I, I recommend them. You don't even where have to hunt anymore. Isn't it great? No, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, Uber Eats has a good thing. You know, somebody can save discount on their next meal by just driving to your house and laying there. <laughs> Get your bite on, right? How weird would that be? But that's really up to the creativity of the players and the STs who make up those weird, quirky circumstances to make it fun. But what's shocking to me is that they had to put in the book because this is not coming from people who sat around and went, okay, we're in our Bugattis. We're having our team meeting in our Bugattis. They paid for all this. Now that we're here, what do you guys think we could do next to make more money? As they're sloughing, like, ale and whatever else you think that they're high-end wine drinking and eating whatever, or the impression you think of people who do this stuff. These are not the uber-rich who are looking on the next money-making machine. These are people who are trying to answer a demand for the hobby they created. 
that can help you? What's the next tool? This tool mm -hmm. came about because enough of us had said what? I have no idea how to portray an elder. I have a hard enough time portraying a new one. I have no clue what this elder would do. And I, that's why I only use NPCs out of the book. And even then, I don't feel I do it right. I don't know how to do it. I don't do it right. Uh, I, I don't I think with that idea, no one does it right because no one is a multi-century old blood-sucking monster. Right. That's kind of it's kind of a hard thing to get into a mindset of when it doesn't exist. I used to feel like that, man. I'm going to tell you, I did. Um, and then I realized, like. I had some inspirations to draw from. Right. There's a ton of Dracula movies. Um, not the one Leslie Nelson was in, though. That wouldn't be appropriate until like get that like aura of dread and like um, that delivery that you would expect from someone that old. But like. As long as you're playing, what? Go ahead. It's it's like a, you must have heard it in your brain. I was like, you you expect all elders to give an aura of dread? Uh, no, right. But I'm talking more like a. Uh, sorry, I was envisioning one elder in particular. Right. What one, I'm pointing like, out is you. What I'm pointing out is you still have a predisposition to think that maybe I don't know if I'm doing it right because what I was expecting you to was to come over hard. Yeah, I think all elders have a thing of dread because that would make sense because that would show the foundation you built to say, yeah, elders come from a very scary era. Right, mm -hmm. They know they're powerful now. So, yeah, they give off an aura of dread because I agree with you. I think the hard part about playing an era is someone that is such a super predator and is so powerful. Not only are they aware of it, but they know they're trying to talk to you of the modern world. And how do they do that without scaring you off? So they're doing everything to disarm it. So elders don't like to move a whole lot. Because mm -hmm. that's part of the reason. Think with an elder. They're going to be a lower, I'm going to bring up the humanity scale game mechanic, right? They're going to be lower on that scale, right? But like, as we've, um, humanity in this, there's no conscience attribute in this, right? Humanity in Requiem is not actually like good and evil, right? It's more of a scale of how alien you are from being human. So you could have a lower gener or lower generation, Jesus, a lower humanity vampire that's an elder. And it's not that they're hyper violent. They might not be at all. It might. It's not that they're evil; that they just want to rip you open on sight, right? It's just that they are so different from being a person. It, they just that aura of dread is really how you're interpreting it because they're something else. How does a lion think about man when it stands in front of him? Yeah, yeah I guess it would depend on just how hungry it is. And that's the exact same thought in the head of anybody who stands in front of an elder. Right, just you know, you can communicate with the elder. So what do you do, yep. nervous talkers? You're going to bring gifts. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. You bow a lot. You don't look him in the eyes. You do all the things to not don't antagonize the predator if you're smart. Right, but what if you're not? Then you stand back from the person who should have damn well known better, and now you're gauging the elder, and the elder knows it, and that's their real power. We all know that we should shit Tiffany cufflinks. Right, just just terrified when the old blackbird when she comes to town, and you're standing about right because her reputation is I eat and kill whatever I choose, mm -hmm. and you hope she doesn't choose you. We went over that book, which is why I bring it up. Those listening understand that. So if you know that now, you know why Solomon Birch was pinned against the wall and terrified that this was his last night, and knew it. But it's the risk he took and the big brass balls on that guy to be able to do that and say I lived. I dealt with the unholy and I lived. But what high does he have afterward? I survived her. The power he felt at the end of it. Because it just justified, I am powerful. I was able to seduce and manipulate an elder. 
based on what she was, but then it proved that I am no longer that Ancilla trying. I'm that new elder, allowed and permitted to be at the table. Everybody wants to get there, doesn't it? You want to do it, I want to do it. Everybody wants to do it when you play a vampire to be recognized as that threat. But how do we do it? It comes in levels. When I'm a neophyte, when I'm young, it's mortals who will fear me. But I don't know how to handle that power, so I need to make a scene where I frenzy and wake up in different spots, blacking out like DJ said, but well aware that I've mauled and ate everything. I need that. But then I grow from it eventually, right? When I get used to that, know I could do that. Then I get a feeding down. Now, I don't do that as much anymore. But what do I do that's differently? What's that next level? And that's how one has to think. How does an Ancilla feel? How does an Elder feel? And you go on and so forth. And how are people going to get me? The people beneath you that are your lessers reflect your prestige. Always remember that. Somebody who reports to you and answers to you, they represent you. They don't have to belong to your org or your clique or anything. If you truly are better than someone, the people will look at you like you are. Because otherwise, you ain't shit. You are what people say you are. You are. You can feel whatever you want, and you can have that self-assurance, that self-security. That's perfectly fine. But if you want an example, why was the Amber Heard nonsense with Johnny Depp so important? Right? Johnny felt that he was in the fan's eye, but now he's just some wife-beating scumbag. He went and defended, won his day in court, got that rep down. He's loved again. Right? It's night and day. It's that simple. And that's how it goes. Reputation's all. Well, that's for mortals. If it's that important, you have to understand. To an elder, you better have it. And that's really what this future portion does, is paint in your head. It's way more than just you waking up and things are different now. And I guess i got to get used to the new tax rate. Agreed. Um, well, um, I think that about covers it. Unless any of y'all want to talk about any of the, uh, the rogues gallery they have in the back of this. Um, no, I am. I'm pretty comfortable. How about you, DJ? I'm pretty comfortable as well. I think if I was to add something to it, uh, speaking upon the point you just made, Bob, and I guess for players who are trying to envision what Bob just mentioned, I would probably say it's the same way I kind of envision the way children look up to parents, especially when they know parents have the powers to buy things or deny them certain things. It's instinctual in the beginning. Or let's say you just walk into a new company. You don't know who the big boss is, but you know that that boss is somewhere in the office. And when you meet the boss instinctually, you know where the hierarchy of that power lies. And even more so, even your more immediate boss, your supervisor has the power to either keep you in the company or fire you or come up with a reason for it. And that's why when you start watching that politics happen, happens in vampire as well so every now and then just think of yourself as the office worker you're walking over towards the cooler and all of a sudden your boss shows up how do you feel in front of him? how do you react in front of him? Uh, i think that's a good way of uh <laughs> of displaying what type of aura someone with power should normally have the, yeah, the final throne i want to give here is the overall book the overall book is the things elders have to tackle mm-hmm. this is the immortal half they give you what you asked for you want to know how to play an elder this is the book i'd say with confidence is the one that will help you grasp the concepts that they thought a lot of people would get with previous books. That's really the sole focus I see this book being made for. That's the feel I had throughout it. They even included powers, mm-hmm. right? They included the elder mindset. They give you a breakdown even more than we did of, of how you would map this out. If you needed to make maps, some people can't relate like that and need to have paint by numbers to help them land their great games. And I want to say this, everybody here, just for me to you, um, longtime listeners of podcasts and new understand that if you're taking steps to listen to podcasts, what people are saying about books and whatnot, you're crafting, polishing your expertise. But if you have not yet run a game, 
you are missing a ship. Mm. Your Agreed. time is now. There are tools that you have to help you, but your time is now. If you're listening to a podcast to help you, start running a game so you can apply it, so you can come up with your techniques, you come up with your way of doing things and make your games better. That's how we make this great is we make it a community. And if we help you nudge you out a little farther to finally get that try, please do so and let us know how you're doing. All right. Um, yeah, only, other, only other note other than those NPCs we talked about, this book also has several different uh, historical settings, right? Everything from like ancient Egypt up to like World War I. Uh, so it's almost like a mini Dark Eras book that I'm sure we'll review at some point in the future. Um, uh, with that, I think we're going we're gonna to wrap it. Uh, next, not next week, but next Requiem recording, we're going to be going over Ancient Bloodlines. It's the companion with this. They actually they actually go together. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, oh, I, I get to do this now. Um, <clears throat> hold on, hold on. Uh, so thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Or was I supposed bye. to do the awkward one where I go? No, you're supposed to do that one beat pause everyone does and then say oh. bye. <laughs> All right, but I can wave now. Yeah, you can. You can wave. All right. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and want to support us, please share it with others or leave a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.